0: Well, thank you, Matt. I'm glad to be part of the 50th successful broadcast and uh, wish all of your listeners well. And let's go do this thing and uh, let's get our clean energy economy cranked up in North Carolina.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. Today's episode is number 50. In case you've missed it, we've been celebrating this milestone all week over on NCSEA's social media channels. There have been balloons, confetti, and other images that reveal why I'm best suited for an audio-only platform. So if you're into what the kids are calling the gram these days, make sure to give us a follow at Podcast and at Energy. We've been dropping hints all week as to who our special guest is for this episode. Have you picked up on any of those hints and figured out who it is yet? Drum roll, please. Well, to keep everyone on their toes, we're going to make you wait just a little bit longer. So before we get started, we have just a few short updates to share with you. While we were recording the interview for today's episode... Governor Roy Cooper issued Executive Order 218, committing North Carolina to offshore wind by establishing development goals of 2.8 gigawatts by 2030 and 8 gigawatts by 2040. Achieving these goals will power roughly 2.3 million homes in North Carolina by 2040. The order also directs the Department of Commerce to name a Clean Energy Economic Development Coordinator and establish the North Carolina Task Force for Offshore Wind Economic Resources Strategies, or NC Towers. It also directs NCDEQ. And the North Carolina Department of Military and Veterans Affairs to designate offshore wind coordinators. This is another exciting milestone in North Carolina's commitment to develop offshore wind resources here in our state. To find out more about the recent executive order, visit governor.nc.gov. Next, I wanted to mention that NCSEA is set to release a report in coordination with RTI International in the very near future, focused on the economic impact of clean energy in North Carolina. Our organization publishes this report every two years, so this will be the 2020 update to that report. At a high level, and as you'll hear me mention on today's interview, nearly $20 billion have been invested in clean energy development in North Carolina between 2007 and 2020, with project investment alone in 2020 totaling $1.6 billion dollars. To get the full report when it's live, make sure to visit NCSEA's publication page on our website at energync.org forward slash (music) publication. Lastly, in a short legislative update, after several months of behind-the-scenes budget negotiations between North Carolina House and Senate Republicans in Raleigh, Speaker Tim Moore and Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger announced on Wednesday that they finally reached an agreement on spending 25.7 billion for the upcoming 2021-2022 budget fiscal year and 26.7 billion for 2022-2023. However, Republican legislative leader's budget availability number continues to be about 2 billion below Governor Cooper's requested budget, so we clearly still have a ways to go. As a reminder to our listeners, the North Carolina General Assembly's budget process normally kicks off in March or April, so they're behind schedule this year, and instead of passing a budget before the start of the fiscal year on July 1st, Republican leaders hope to get a budget to Governor Cooper's desk by the end of July. It's also important to remember that North Carolina legislators passed a law a few years ago to maintain spending levels from the previous year, which will kick into motion on July 1st, so we will not see a budget shutdown like happens in Washington, D.C., Stay tuned for more budget updates in the coming weeks. All right, on today's episode, we're talking clean energy in North Carolina. Wait, isn't that what we talk about every episode? Yes, you're right. But this episode, we're taking a 40,000-foot perspective to talk about North Carolina's progress in clean energy to date, along with the support we're seeing from the current administration to ensure our industry continues to prosper and grow moving forward. So, On that note, let's go ahead and kick off the 50th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Our next guest on the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast was born and raised in Nash County, working on his family farm prior to attending UNC Chapel Hill. This guest has spent nearly three decades in public service, including in the North Carolina House and Senate, where he worked with both parties to get balanced budgets, raising teacher pay to the national average, growing the economy, and cutting taxes for middle-class families. Our guest was also elected North Carolina Attorney General for four terms starting in 2000. After that, he was elected governor to the state of North Carolina in 2016 and recently was re-elected in 2020. If you haven't guessed by now, our next guest on the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. Governor Cooper, welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast.
0: Matt, I'm glad to be here and thank you guys for taking up this cause and energizing people uh, across the country and the world for that matter. Anybody can listen to the podcast. So looking forward to talking today.
1: Absolutely. So. Uh, as I mentioned, we are so excited to have you as our, our special guest for this 50th episode. So since your election as governor in 2016, you've indicated your strong support for clean energy through a number of executive orders and actions by your administration, uh, most notably being Executive Order 80, which you issued back in October of 2018. So let's just start with the very basic question. Why are you a supporter of clean energy?
0: Started when I was a kid growing up in eastern North Carolina. My dad would walk with me through the woods, through farmland, uh, down creeks, and talk about the importance of preserving uh, our, our land and making sure our area and water is clean. Uh, it, it has been something that's been a part of me for a long time. And actually, I ran for the state legislature when I was a young man, and one of the first bills that I introduced... Uh, was to make it a felony to intentionally pollute because we'd seen, uh, a lot of companies out there who just decided that a cost of doing business was paying fines. And so we had to up the ante to try to protect our air and water. And as you can imagine, that legislation got a little bit of attention, but we were able to get it passed. Uh, I then became attorney general and, uh, We know the problems that Western North Carolina was having uh, with the Western vistas and the smog that had occurred in the, the 80s and 90s. And I was able, as Attorney General, to bring a lawsuit against the Tennessee Valley Authority that ultimately resulted in a settlement we won at the trial court suing TVA on a public nuisance theory. Uh, we, we achieved a settlement getting the Tennessee Valley Authority to uh, significantly reduce its carbon em- emissions. And it has now resulted in dozens of cleaner air days per year in Western North Carolina, trees that had been dying on Mount Mitchell or coming back to life. So there are things that we can do to make a difference. And we know that the immediacy Uh, of the challenge of climate change is staring us right in the face. But here in North Carolina, we can talk about the economics of clean energy, the jobs it'll create, the fact that clean energy is coming at us uh, like an electric freight train, and we need to be ready to to get on board here in North Carolina. We have the infrastructure, uh, we have the talent, we have the people, now we've got to have the will to do the things to get ready for the clean energy economy that's going to put a lot of money in people's pockets.
1: I love that analogy, an electric freight train. I'm going to have to start I just thought of it.
0: I just thought of it just two seconds ago. because <laughs> I, I was going to say, like a freight train, wait a minute, we got to make it electric. It's
1: all good. <laughs> well, you might have helped to determine the title for today's episode. Maybe uh, so. Maybe <laughs> so. So you had mentioned the extraordinary investments being made here in our state by the clean energy economy. Uh, NCSEA actually just is about to publish a report in coordination with RTI International, which shows that North Carolina received nearly $20 billion in investments through clean energy development between 2007 and and 2020. So, you know, quite a robust economy that we've seen here in our state. um, And a lot of new companies that continue to move to our state every day um, so, so back to the topic of Executive Order 80, um, so EO80 established a number of clean energy related goals for North Carolina, including reducing statewide greenhouse gas emissions to 40% below 2005 levels, increasing the number of electric vehicles on our roads to 80,000 by 2025, and reducing energy consumption per square foot in state-owned buildings by 40% from 2002-2003 levels. So, can you talk about some of our progress towards these goals since signing EO80 in 2018 out at SAS's campus in Kerry?
0: Yeah, I think, Matt, we've got to go back a little bit further because you, you said a mouthful about accomplishments over the, the last decade and a half. And uh, I remember uh, being Attorney General uh, when President Bush was in office and the EPA was not very friendly. But North Carolina, which had a little better legislature at the time and a strong governor at the time, came up with our own clean smokestacks legislation, and it set a renewable energy portfolio standard for energy producers in our state. you got to have so much renewable energy as part of your generation uh, by law. That set the groundwork, number one, for me to bring my action against the TVA that I mentioned earlier, but it also uh, attracted the solar industry to North Carolina. Uh, We were number two, we are number three because we're beginning to slip a little bit, but we're number three in the country in solar energy. It has created over 100,000 jobs. It's giving rural farmers another source of, of income, and it has provided, I think, some strong infrastructure for renewable energy in the future. And so now we, we are faced not only with uh, significant issues with climate change, but we see what's happening nationally on the clean energy economy. The infrastructure we have here, I think, is very strong, and we have a good base to start with. So w- with our EO80, Already, uh, we have begun beefing up the push for electric vehicles. Duke Energy just took some action yesterday. Uh, Our state motor fleet, we're working to buy more uh, clean energy vehicles. We had a settlement with Volkswagen where we're putting millions of dollars into electric vehicles, buses, charging stations. That infrastructure is really going to be important. And We're also beginning a coordinated effort that EO80 set off a a massive stakeholder discussion about how we're going to get to a 70% reduction in carbon by 2030 and zero emissions by 2050, where we had everybody at the table, uh, environmental groups, the utilities, the, the businesses, the consumer groups, the environmental justice groups, everybody got around the table and talked about the best way forward. So, uh, and we had the Nicholas Institute at, at Duke to help us to facilitate this. So we have a great plan in place about how to get there. And the, and the thing is, we have a lot of avenues that we can take and we can be flexible about how we get there. And we also know that we've got the the economy that we've dealt with. So commerce is playing a big part of this. You mentioned these companies, Google, Apple, Fujifilm, Dyson, Biogen. They all say we want a zero carbon footprint in North Carolina, and we're coming here, and we're going to expect to be able to do that. These are high paying jobs that we're attracted. And let me tell you, North Carolina is a magnet. Uh, we, we have sent the message that we value inclusion and diversity, that we want clean energy. Our phone is ringing off the hook with technology companies, pharmaceutical manufacturing, research, innovation, entrepreneurship. People are ready to come to North Carolina. We've got to make sure we invest in education, which is a different podcast, but we need to be ready. Our infrastructure needs to be ready for this clean energy economy. We've got a tough road ahead uh, because we have some forces that are not ready to do that and who are wanting to be wedded to fossil fuels for a lot longer than we should be. But I think EO80 has created a lot of excitement. Uh, we, We know that We have the challenges of our military bases that are so important in North Carolina. And when we talk about offshore wind, uh, we know we have to respect airspace. uh, But all of this is doable. And I'm excited about uh, the start our executive order has given our state. Now we've got to push through and make sure that we finish the job.
1: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. EO80 really did spur a lot of excitement in the state, and we saw so many stakeholders come out with an interest in participating in the clean energy plan and putting together all of these these reports and and things to help move our our economy forward. Like as you mentioned, corporations, universities, I mean, utilities, everyone across the board with an interest in moving the clean energy economy forward. And since you had mentioned EVs. I think it's also worth noting to our listeners your strong support for electrifying our transportation system here in North Carolina with your signing of a multi-state MOU with 15 other states committing to 30% of all new medium and heavy-duty vehicle sales by 2030 being zero emission vehicles and 100% by 2050 um, so we you know we appreciate and and thank you for for your support and and Bringing that excitement to to clean energy and sustainability uh, through things like EO80 and that medium and heavy duty MOU with many other states and governors. Many of our
0: local governments are jumping right in, Matt. And you look at the city of Greensboro and the electric buses that it is uh, has part of its fleet. People love them. They're they're quiet. They're they're clean. They they get you where you need to go. Uh, it's very exciting. For our state. We've still got a long way to go, but I, like I say, we are, we are building that effort with a lot of partners uh, across North Carolina, across the country.
1: And since you mentioned uh, electric buses, you, you recently toured Thomas Built Buses Manufacturing Facility in High Point, where they're making electric buses right here in North Carolina. And Vice President Harris was also a part of that tour as well.
0: Yes, uh, Vice President I, Harris and I toured this facility. Uh, We wanted to highlight North Carolina's advanced manufacturing for the right reasons. Uh, School buses, critical for our public education. Uh, There's so many safety uh, advantages, health advantages for having these electric school buses and great paying jobs. I think the vice president was really impressed with the setup there in, in High Point. And we're very excited about it. It's an example of the good paying jobs that clean energy economy can bring us.
1: And exactly as you mentioned, as, as you well know, clean energy provides a number of economic benefits for our state from a large number of people employed in the industry to significant amounts of tax revenue generated by clean energy projects in rural and urban parts of the state. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the benefits we've seen here in North Carolina on the
0: economic development side? Yeah, well, you you look at, I mentioned rural farmers and the solar industry and how that has helped uh, supplement income in very difficult times for many farmers across our state. You look at the jobs that have been created already uh, in the solar sector, where we see significant potential growth is supply chain for offshore wind and wind energy in North Carolina. Uh, I can't say that, that I was, was blown away when I, when I found out about what inter- wind energy could do off of our coast, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, when, when you look at the potential, if we get can get to eight gigawatts by 2040 of offshore wind, that can power 2.3 million households and can create a supply chain economy that can create hundreds of thousands of jobs in North Carolina. A lot of these parts were offshore wind made overseas, probably most all of them. And we have the ability to capture that manufacturing and that supply chain. Uh, and when you look off the coast of North Carolina, uh, you see the strong wind energy that we have. I mean, they don't, call off the coast of the Outer Banks the graveyard of the Atlantic for nothing. I mean, it's it, the, the wind is fierce out there, but it can create a, a lot of energy and, and thus a lot of jobs. And, you know, we're, we're also getting more and more bipartisan support, particularly from local governments uh, led by Republicans along the coast. You know, they are tired of these fierce... Storms that are being exacerbated by climate change—they see this coming. Insurance companies see it coming. Private companies see it coming, and they are ready to stand up. And you know, I, I worked with a lot of them fighting offshore drilling when President Trump went into office. He he wanted to make that a, a part of his agenda. We fought it didn't happen. Now we're working with offshore wind, but we, we formed some real alliances out there with both Republican and Democratic local leaders in the fight against offshore drilling. They understand, many of them understand the fight we have against climate change, but they also understand the economic benefits that can occur from offshore wind.
1: Absolutely. And as you well know, you know, North Carolina has one of the best offshore wind resources amongst the Atlantic coast states. Um, and so your your administration has already signaled very strong support for the offshore wind industry here in North Carolina, uh, including signing an MOU on that front and then also Uh, directing the Department of Commerce to conduct a supply chain analysis of the companies that we have here in North Carolina that are participating in the offshore wind economy and determining our state's readiness for the growth of the industry here as well. Uh, So I'm really excited just knowing that the resources that we have, the companies that we already have here in our state, and the potential for North Carolina to take advantage
0: of that growth in the offshore wind industry. And Matt, let me commend you on your own energy efficiency where your light just went out because there was not enough motion in the room. That's impressive. And you get an A for that.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Always got to be mindful of my own energy use, even in the middle of a podcast Give it, give it that, right?
0: So you can, so you can <laughs> get the exactly lights back right. on in the room. <laughs> That's great.
1: So, you know, one kind of one other piece to to all of this in, in North Carolina is is the North Carolina General Assembly and that being an important piece in transitioning our state from the power grid and uh, and energy regulations or policies that were created close to 100 years ago to the cleaner energy technologies of today. Do you think that that we can get this done here in North Carolina to really move us towards those goals that you've set out here in EO80?
0: Well, it, it's going to be a hard road because as I mentioned earlier, there are a number of leaders in the General Assembly that are wedded to fossil fuels for, uh, I believe, a lot longer than is going to be uh, what we need to fight climate change, but maybe even more importantly from their perspective, that's going to be economically feasible. Uh, There there seems to be a, a lot of concern about wanting more and more natural gas when the clean energy economy is is pushing us away from that and at the end of the day uh, w- you know we know that we've got to continue to to have natural gas for a while in order to make sure that we have the power that we need and that we can grow the economy but we have to be moving f- pretty fast toward renewable energy and if we make a lot of big investments in the gas industry we're going to have a lot of stranded costs potentially for our state and and our consumers. And so we have to have the foresight about a clean energy future. So I'm hoping that the utilities, uh, understanding the importance of this and understanding the importance of mapping out a clean energy future, they took part in this and a lot of the goals they agreed upon. Uh, We're gonna hope that they can convince leadership in the General Assembly that we need to have clean energy in North Carolina and that this legislation is important. You know, I'm prepared to do whatever we need to do to push this legislatively, but also to move uh, from an executive perspective to to do what we need to do to try to get to these goals that we've set out in EO 80. Uh, There are ways to get there. There are ways to have a win-win situation where there could be a Uh, a positive I think a positive result but it's going to be it's going to be tough it's going to be a lot of hard negotiations I look forward to when uh, we can know where we are when this thing is revealed publicly that has been discussed for a number of weeks so we can see what's there and we'll know uh, where we need to start we've got our team ready to go to begin negotiations because uh, I I, I want to be able to sign legislation, but I'm not going to sign it if it doesn't do what we need to do to get us toward clean energy in our state.
1: And I, I think it's so important to, to you know, talk about, you know, the importance of strong clean energy legislation and the benefits that it can bring as as we kind of already talked about before with all the investments we've already seen in our state, you know, why not continue that investment and, and the groundswell of momentum that we already he- have here in North Carolina, being that we were number two in solar and you know, we've now dropped to number three, but we have the the ability to to really continue to keep up the strong economy that we have here in our state. And it really benefits folks from all across the state. Places like Edgecombe, Nash, Halifax, and other eastern North Carolina counties, as well as places in the western part of the state, like Catawba, are some of the top counties across the state that have really benefited from the economic drivers of, of clean energy and development within their counties, which... Help with tax revenues and, and other things that really reinvest in their communities. So, uh, you know, I, I really do, uh, Governor Cooper, really do appreciate you taking the time with us this, this morning to talk more about your support for clean energy and what we're, we're aiming for for the future. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to, to having you back on soon to talk more about how we've met those goals sometime down the road in the future. So, Governor Cooper, it was such a pleasure to have you this morning on the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast.
0: Well, thank you, Matt. I'm glad to be part of the 50th successful broadcast and uh, wish all of your listeners well. And let's go do this thing and uh, let's get our clean energy economy cranked up in North Carolina.
1: My key takeaways from today's episode are growth and diversification. As you heard from the governor, our state really holds the keys to our own robust, diverse, and expansive clean energy economy moving forward. In today's conversation, you heard about the real opportunities we have to move burgeoning sectors of the clean energy industry forward, like offshore wind, while continuing to provide growth opportunities for sectors that have long been leaders in the nation, like utility scale solar. I can't thank the governor enough for joining us today. It was a great conversation and another example of strong leadership and support of clean energy from North Carolina's elected officials, both Democrats and Republicans at the state, local, and federal levels of our government. I am proud of the work of NCSEA and so many of our allies in building stronger bipartisan support of clean energy, as it is an incredible economic driver in North Carolina communities across our state. I also want to thank legislators like Representatives John Zoka, Larry Strickland, Harry Warren, along with Senators Todd Johnson, Michael Lazara, Mike Woodard, DeAndrea Salvador, and many others who have introduced important clean energy legislation thus far during this year's legislative session. Stay tuned for more updates on these clean energy bills and others in the coming weeks. And be sure to check out the new RTI International Report on North Carolina's clean energy investments statewide and in your local communities, which is set to release soon. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout at Matt Abel for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode and your worst energy joke one-liners i'm gonna steal my dad joke today from our guest governor roy cooper
0: uh i can't say that that i was was blown away when i when i found out about what wind energy could do off of our coast but i'll say it anyway
1: blown away we were all blown away by that wind energy pun governor cooper and episode 50 of the squeaky clean energy podcast is in the books but before you leave Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.